Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. The Landscape is presented with the support of Delta Dental of Ohio. You can find out more by visiting deltadentaloh.com. In the 1970s, our nation's wealthiest 1% owned about 20% of the nation's total household wealth. These days, that number is around 35%. And if you look pre-pandemic, about 80% of people were working paycheck to paycheck as wages continue to be stagnant for working-class Americans. Those figures become even more pronounced when you compare white workers and white households to black workers and black households. Our own Rachel Abby McCafferty, who is an assistant editor at Cranes as well as reporter, has looked into that racial disparity, the wealth gap disparity, for a series of articles in the forum section that you can read at cranescleveland.com. Rachel, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Is it an interesting question? I mean, if you look back to the founding fathers, many of them were against inheritance and President Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, spoke out strongly about how this kind of concentrated wealth could corrupt the democratic process. Is that really true? I mean, it's uh, certainly a an interesting question. I, it's one that I, I think when you look at, if we're talking about the, the racial wealth gap, it is one that the ongoing inheritance and generational wealth transfer, it's really impacted families of color over the years, especially black families in the U.S., because when you think about it, the people who were accumulating wealth back when the founding fathers were getting started were just white men. Um, everybody else was kind of locked out of accumulating wealth. But if you're talking about the racial wealth gap today, one of the interesting things that I learned more about while actually doing this series of articles is that the inheritance doesn't matter as much as you would think it does. It really comes down to the income gap and people's ability to build up that wealth in their lifetimes, which makes a lot of sense. A lot of times we talk about housing and inheritance, we talk about the racial wealth gap, but if people aren't being paid a reasonable wage for the work that they're doing, how are they supposed to build up savings to pass on? So. Rachel, I was surprised to read in a study by the Cleveland Federal Reserve Bank that shows that the wealth gap between white people and black people is roughly as it was 60 years ago when the Civil Rights Act was passed. And I realized that act dealt with a lot of things, not just income. But how, what kind of gap are we talking about? Looking at that particular study, they're citing some numbers from 2016, where the most recent they included. And in that, black-led households had an average wealth of about $140,000. White-led households it was closer to $901,000 for reported wealth. It's a, it's a stark gap. And I'd also taken a look at some Policy Matters Ohio, had some really interesting work on the income gap, it, because that is just as, if not more, stark. And in Ohio alone, say we're looking at numbers just for Ohio, the income gap's about triple what it was in 1979. So we're even getting closer to recent history, and it is just... As a society, we have not made any any movement on this issue. So what are some of the underlying reasons for this gap between black workers and white workers and incomes? Is, does it start with this shrinking job pool where people don't have the opportunity to get the kind of jobs that our parents could have got 50, 60, 70 years ago that helped you get out of a lower income status and move your way up? So that's a really interesting question. One of the things, I'm actually going to take it away from the racial income gap for a moment, talk about the gender income gap, because I think it it raises an important parallel. When people talk about the gender income gap, there's a a degree of self-selection happening in the jobs oftentimes. People are choosing, women are choosing certain types of jobs, men are choosing certain types of other jobs, whether it's for childcare purposes or just societal reasons, kind of what we get slotted into. 
And I think people think that is happening with the racial income gap. But when you really dive into the data, that's not the case because you can see that different measures don't close the gap. Maybe people can make their lives a little better on an individual level by getting those higher paying jobs, whether it's a manufacturing job with union membership or going to higher education, getting a higher paid job that way. But higher education doesn't close the gap. Union membership doesn't close the gap. Sometimes these things don't even narrow the gap. I think union membership does narrow it. Higher education does not. Really what it comes down to is the discrimination kind of built into our society, unfortunately. This is one of those things where people can, you can help improve your own lives and there are organizations that can help people access resources to improve their personal lives. But to close this gap, this is something that just needs to be fixed on a societal level. There's some other factors that do come into play. You often hear about the issue of jobs being in a place where people can't get to them. Um, it's a big you know, one, yeah. The, the, the trans- issue of transportation, does this also continue to be a major factor? Yes, and that is one of the kind of societal parts of this is that we need to be thinking about where we are locating jobs. Um, when, like, some of the, the people I spoke to said that that is a big thing that can be done to help close the gap is make jobs more accessible to people who are um, in need of work. So that is one of them. Another is the punitive criminal justice system. That is something that obviously white people and black people are treated differently in the criminal justice system. So that is something that also needs to be tackled. It really comes down to these historic societal problems um, that it's such a complicated, messy topic that it all there's all of these different contributing factors to it. Certainly living in a stable, low-crime area can improve your property value, offer better economic opportunities. But as we talk about this issue of discrimination, that was denied to black people, even if they could afford to live places. How bad is the redlining problem in that sort of housing discrimination affected this gap? It has historically certainly played a role in terms of people getting tar- you know, channeled into certain neighborhoods, kept out of certain others. And then you look at today... Oftentimes, houses in majority black neighborhoods are going to be appraised differently than houses in majority white neighborhoods, which then contributes to that available wealth and and wealth that can be passed on. This episode of The Landscape is brought to you by Delta Dental of Ohio. With offices in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Dublin, Delta Dental of Ohio is proud to be an industry leader in dental benefits. Together with our customers, providers, and employees, we build a higher standard of oral health care in our communities. And we are more than dental. At Delta Dental of Ohio, we work with entrepreneurs, innovators, and changemakers who are committed to improving the health and well-being of all Buckeyes. Together, we are building healthy, smart, vibrant communities for all. Rachel Abby McCafferty joins us today. She is Crane's Cleveland assistant editor, and she's a reporter who has been looking into an issue, a series of uh, articles for us about the income gap, racial disparity uh, between blacks and whites. She's written these articles. You can find them at cranescleveland.com. I'm surprised to hear what you said about education, um, that it doesn't really (laughs) lessen that gap. Why do you think that is? It's what I said. It really does. It comes down to, uh, it comes down to discrimination in that you can... There was someone in in the article, someone I talked to over at the University of Akron, who cited research where people had taken resumes, exact same qualifications, exact same experience, and just changed the names to make the person applying. Obviously, there's no photo involved, but appear based on common names, more white or more black. And the 
black sounding names, quote unquote, uh, received far fewer calls back. It's, it is something that people need to be aware of these conscious or unconscious biases if we're going to be making a difference to, in this issue. Higher education, you can, if you look at the, the numbers, it's going to be the, the more education you achieve, your salary is going to go up, but the gap does not close. I think looking at some of the charts when I was doing this work, it was disheartening to see that it didn't even narrow the gap. The gap completely persists across all levels of higher education earned. As you approach this series of articles, I know you, you were looking at, in some respects, how does this affect individuals, but what about the economy and the city at large? Yeah, that I, I was just not thinking of it in those terms, not patting myself on the back, but I've covered education for a long time. I'm always thinking in terms of how is this going to impact this, this child, this student, this person who's seeking to, you know, better their lives, do things like that. So I was going into it from that perspective of, oh, how does this impact the individual? How does this impact families? And it very quickly, I think with the very first interview I did with Michael Obi over at the Urban League, he said, of course, that's hugely important to the individual, but our economy in Cleveland, Northeast Ohio, really the whole country, but we're not going to improve if half of our population is kept out of accumulating wealth. If people cannot earn a good wage for their families, they're not going to be out shopping. They're not going to be going to concerts and restaurants and contributing to the economy at the same level. So if Northeast Ohio and if Cleveland want to improve and do better economically, we, we can't keep people locked out of that process. We cannot improve if half of our citizenry has no opportunity to do that. What kind of role does home ownership play in, in, the, in the wealth question? I mean, really, it's it, that that was one of the striking things to me is it does seem like it is it's important, but it is less important than people think. It really does come down to the income gap is one of the major contributing factors here when it comes to the wealth gap. Home ownership is important, but I think we're just going to see, especially as younger generations are renting more and more across all racial categories. It's just not as big of a factor as people think it is. That's been in the in the literature that housing has been the big one. Everyone has always said the wealth gap is based on housing and what this Cleveland Fed report has found and people I've talked to back this up really comes down to income. So this is a big question, obviously. What kind of solutions can we get to to solve this problem? I mean, how do we bridge this gap, especially if it's a question of discrimination? That's entrenched with some people, you know? Well, unfortunately... I don't know how we solve the discrimination problem. If I did, I would not be sitting here. I would be uh, probably well, I would out be in addressing D.C. addressing you as Madam President. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, one thing I, I think is important, as I was talking to people, it, it's easy to get mired in the, the difficulty of this, how big this problem is. And I think it was Daniel Carroll over at... It was one of the one of the people over at the Fed who mentioned, don't think about it in terms of, and maybe it was Danisi or both of them, I was speaking to them both at the same time, don't focus on the fact that the problem is so big. Focus on some of the small ways that people can make a change. So you mentioned, what are some of the things that can be done? I don't know what we do about discrimination, except for hopefully keep raising awareness and trying to reach people. But on small levels, everybody needs to be thinking about what they can what they can do. I mean, that might mean looking at student loan forgiveness, medical debt forgiveness. Those are things that disproportionately affect black, black individuals. 
maybe look at things like I had some sources mention they might want to be doing pilots of supplemental income, universal base income, things like that. Making sure that when you're selecting suppliers and contractors, you have a diverse list of people that you are working with. And on an individual level, like I said, this is not, I wanted to make it really clear when I was writing this, this is not something that can be fixed. It's not a bootstrapping situation. This is not just go out, get more education. You can fix this on your own. But there are ways, there are programs that people have been, they've felt locked out of in the past, whether it's because they experienced racism, their families did. But there are programs that people can, like I talked to um, PNC about their Fairfax connection. They do a lot of educational programming in the neighborhood and the community about not just, not just wealth and, and income, but they talk to people about financial wellness, do different classes, maybe that maybe they are working on how to create a budget if families had not had that opportunity in the past, maybe even just building different resource banks for people who did not know that they could access certain resources in their neighborhoods, like the universities or the museums. Just, I, someone mentioned to me that it was sort of like trying to give people the toolbox of a white collar worker if they did not have access to it before. There are resources out there. It's about connecting people to those resources. That can make change on an individual level, even if it doesn't fix it on the societal level. Well, anybody who's listened to the landscape knows that's one of my pet issues is financial literacy. No one, it's not taught. People don't, a lot of people don't, if you don't grow up in a family that talks about that kind of thing, you're not going to know anything about a checking account or how you invest in stocks or any of those kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. Anything else surprised you as you took a look at this, dug into this racial disparity in terms of income? Anything else that sort of caught you off guard? I mean, I really just think it is one of those things. There's, it's a topic that I think a lot of people know exists, but they don't really know what goes into it. I do think that it gets brushed off as an individual choice sort of that it's individually choice driven gap and that's not true that's not the case and if we want to change it we have to be intentional and we have to try new things rachel thanks so much for joining us today and sharing this story it's interesting and hopefully something we can work on rachel abby mccaffrey joined us today she is crane's cleveland assistant editor she's looked into the questions of wealth and wage disparity between black households and white households you can read her articles in the forum section at cranescleveland.com the Landscape is brought to you with the support of Delta Dental of Ohio. You can find out more about what they have to offer at deltadentaloh.com. I'm Dan Paletta. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon.